The solar installation stops for nothing. This week, in a 7-6 vote, council decides that the River Valley is going to be home to a new solar panel farm. Plus, we'll talk about polling data and what that might mean for the upcoming election. No, we're not taking polls seriously. Please don't turn off the episode now. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speak Municipally, episode 104, where I'm in the throes of home construction and I still manage to keep up with City Council, who talks about seemingly one issue all week. It was dominating my Twitter feed, and we'll get to it later, but I think this was the first time I haven't been entirely sure what to think of something this week. Very interesting news this week with the solar farm. Lots of lots of things to say about that um, you and I have, and, and Council had lots of things to say about it too. This is one of those is- issues where everybody had something to say. But unfortunately, podcast law prohibits us from talking about that before the rapid fire segment. In a press release this week, the Regional Transit Services Commission aimed to combat a narrative that the organization was just one more layer of bureaucracy by outlining their two primary ambitious goals for the upcoming year, talking with the government and selecting someone that can help them start to think about a plan to start doing something. Here are a selection of words from the release. Strategic plan, milestones, leadership team, talent management, and contributing to positive outcomes. Warehouse space in Edmonton is starting to go for a premium, a phenomenon that market analysts say is due to increasing e-commerce sales and consumer demand for quick delivery. This comes as the office vacancy rate still remains high at around 19%. We all know about Amazon opening their large facility south of Edmonton, but what other e-commerce companies are setting up shop here? Taproot Edmonton looked through business license applications, rental records, and had actors pose as insurance adjusters with hidden cameras to get a look inside some of these businesses taking up warehousing space in Edmonton, with shocking results. As it turns out, a full 68% of all industrial warehouses in Edmonton are rented by the mayor himself and are holding the rotting carcasses of thousands of vehicles that were collateral damage in Donnie's calcium chloride-fueled war on cars. Thankfully, Epcor has temporarily discontinued fluoride additions at their E.L. Smith water plant, so I'll remain lucid enough to continue to investigate the biggest cover-up of the century. If you have any tips related to this investigation, please email them ASAP to mike.nickel at edmonton.ca. The city has released its 2020 employee experience survey results this week, with the important findings being that employees are feeling more disconnected due to the pandemic, employees are hesitant to act when observing concerning behavior or discrimination, and employees are feeling uneasy because of discussions about layoffs and service level reductions. We reached out to Councillor Michael Walters for comment, but he was too busy, quote, just asking questions about how much the city would save if they had residents cut the grass instead of parks maintenance staff, not expecting there to be any repercussions for a politician proposing sweeping and hugely impactful changes. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and this episode is brought to you by the ECF and the Well Endowed Podcast. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, and it's produced by Lisa Pruden, it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how these endowments intersect with the community. Episodes 80 and 81 are hosted by the first ever enemy of the podcast, Julian Fade. See episode 100 for more on that. And these two episodes tackle the history of urban planning in Edmonton. You can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. 
So, Mac, I think without further ado, we need to jump right into the biggest news this week. Epcor has been approved to build a solar farm right by their E.L. Smith water plant in the River Valley. And this was all over the news. It's very contentious. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. But give us the base facts of the matter. What happened here? So there's a 51-acre piece of land that Epcor wants to build a solar farm on, where there's about 45,000 solar panels that will be part of this. It'll generate 12 megawatts of electricity. It'll power the water treatment plant. Um, This is something that's been in the works for a couple of years now. It came before council last year. They sent Epcor away to go and make some modifications to their proposal, which they did. Uh, so it came back uh, for to public hearing a few weeks ago. Council heard from a few dozen, dozens of, uh, of speakers about this project. Um, and then, as we've said a couple of times now, lots of people chiming in with their comments on this. Ultimately, council decided to approve this. The project already had approval from administration, the Utilities Commission, Alberta Culture, and EPCOR had signed uh, an MOU with the Enoch Cree Nation last month. So council was really the last step here, and they voted 7-6 in favor. And it's not a 7-6 that you might expect. It was a bunch of councillors on, on either side that don't generally vote together, which is very interesting. And that's probably another reason why we saw so many of them uh, speaking up about it this week. The people who voted against this week were Aaron Paquette, Tim Cartmel, John Zadick, Andrew Knack, Scott McKean, and Mike Nickel. So notably, there's already some weirdness there, but we didn't have Mo Banga voting with Mike Nickel and John Zadick. That's weird. We had Aaron Paquette voting with Mike Nickel. Also weird. You had Tim Cartmel and Andrew Knack on the same side as Scott McKean voting against Iveson. There's a whole lot of all everything we know about voting blocks in Edmonton City Council. They were thrown out the window because of this. So what did some of the councillors say about this? Well, we should probably start with the mayor. He said that normally he wouldn't support putting solar panels on 7,000 acres of River Valley land. But he argued that next to a treatment plant where uh, the land has already been pre sort of designated as uh, expansion for the water treatment plant. It's been previously disturbed, he said, and it, it helps reach our climate goals. He argued that those were enough reasons for him to vote in favor of it. So he was kind of leading the this is related to declaring a climate emergency and the land is already there. We might as well go ahead and do it. That was the camp that he was leading. Um, The other side, we typically heard the response, well, this is indigenous land, it's historic land, it's the river valley, maybe this sets a bad precedent for further development in the river valley, And, uh, and, and, and we'll get into this too, but an argument that, well, just because we've designated that land for expansion doesn't mean we have to use it. It was really interesting this week that you had John D of all people come out and say, you know, I'm concerned that there will be more development and justification for River Valley development based on the decision here. I was unable to take John D at face value on that. Generally, I think a project to build solar panels by the government, which EPCOR is effectively the government, probably wouldn't fly with him. But if we take him at his word, sure. Every councillor seems to have said something about this, though. I can't think of the last big decision, short of the budget, where every councillor has made sure that they get their opinion on the record and they're talking to media about this. And I think it was interesting that a number of them took quite great lengths to explain their thinking about why they voted the way they did. So Councillor Hamilton uh, wrote a blog post on her website that talked about this and 
Well, she voted in favor and, and said that it aligns with the climate emergency and supports energy resilience. So she was in favor of it. Um, Andrew Knack wrote on Facebook about this. And I wanted to talk about Andrew Knack's a little bit because he responds to Zadik's point and, and he basically says that this does not create a precedent for future development. He argues, I think correctly, that any rezoning application should be judged on its own merits, and there shouldn't be a legal precedent created when they approve a rezoning. Now, we know in practice that that's not always what happens. Administration will look to previous rezoning applications and the decisions in making their recommendations to council. But in theory, I agree with him that each of these things should be decided individually. The other thing that that uh, Councillor Nack said that I thought was really interesting is that even though this land has been you know, apparently designated for expansion, he points out that there's no guarantee that that expansion will be needed. And he points to evolving technology. It's possible that we may not need that site in 30 or 50 years. And this is a really compelling argument to me personally, because all the time we hear about, well, this land was designated for us to continue to sprawl. Or, uh, you know, just because we decided something today doesn't mean that that's what will happen in the future. Just because we think this is a golf course now doesn't mean it needs to be a golf course 60 years from now. Um, so I liked his point of view on that, that we shouldn't, you know, lock ourselves into a decision for something that may or may not come to pass because of a decision we've made in the past. We need to have the freedom and the flexibility to say there's new information here. We're going to change our plans and not hold ourselves to that. Um, but you pointed out that it's not quite as simple as saying we may not need that land. Yeah, I think it's very important to consider the bit of nuance on this in that we're not talking about EPCOR going in and clear cutting the River Valley forests to make way for solar panels. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. If you look on Google Maps at this site, they've already done the damage of clear cutting this land. Now, should they have done that? Probably not. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's what we're given. And given that the land has already been disturbed, it's no longer a natural use space. And we're not talking about selling the land to Epcor. That's already happened. This is just a rezoning saying, okay, you're not allowed to put solar panels up on this big empty flat site. Hey, maybe we should allow you to do that just so we've already done this damage. Maybe we can get some positive climate impacts out of it. Yeah, specifically, they're rezoning this from a metropolitan regional zone, which is supposed to preserve natural areas in the River Valley to a DC one so that they can allow the solar plant to go forward. So I think you're right. That's what the mayor was referring to when he talked about this being a disturbed, previously disturbed site. It's not maybe what people are imagining in their heads when they hear we're building a solar farm in the River Valley. It's not like it's full of trees or anything like that. I think you made a really interesting point about, you know, we can't plan for the future because especially from our urban and transportation planning perspective, that's bit us quite recently. The thing that jumps to the top of the mind is the high level line. You know, we have the high level bridge with the top deck that we haven't been able to use for anything. We That's a prime corridor that we could have and high level line has imagined it mm -hmm. a great, really quote unquote, world-class amenity that people would come to Edmonton to see. But the provincial government have reserved the top deck of the high-level bridge for high-speed rail to downtown Edmonton since, I believe, back to the 70s for a long time. And that's hamstrung our development. Of course, we found out a few years ago that in the interim, after we've reserved for this use, the high-level bridge has corroded and the metal has 
fractured away that we could not install high-speed rail on top of it. The bridge can't support it anymore. So we've planned for the future, said we absolutely need this space for this future thing, never used it for a few decades, and now that thing in the future is never going to come to pass. Imagine how much use and how great that amenity could have been if for 30 years it was an active transportation corridor. It was a place for people to mingle and sit and enjoy the views of that stark, gorgeous river valley. I think that's the biggest risk is exactly what NAC is getting at right there is that, and this comes with our city plan. The city plan doesn't plan prescriptively for the future. It plans generally what we should feel like, but individual development decisions, you can't make those in the micro over 20, 30, 50 years. I think what you're saying is right. Like it's it's okay to plan for the future, but it's not okay to feel hemmed in by those decisions or to feel like those plans can't change or to reflect updated new information that comes along, right? Um, maybe at the time that they were planning, the high level bridge did make sense for that purpose, but it doesn't anymore. And so we shouldn't be locked into that decision. And just as, you know, this land was put aside to expand the treatment plant doesn't mean we necessarily should be locked into that position. We talked about this last week and you and I were sort of glib about it saying, you know, hey, solar panels are better than not solar panels. But there's actually quite a bit of nuance that I appreciate that both counselors and the community all brought forward. And it is a pretty tough decision. It makes sense that this was 7-6 and with people really weighing in. And it means, I guess, if it's 7-6 with such different block uh, voting blocks that people were deciding this not based on, uh, you know, the typical blocks we see, but maybe more of an individual decision. They've actually really thought about this and uh, and made a decision based on that. At least I hope so. On Twitter, uh, as you uh, you were talking about earlier to me, there was tons of people talking about this. It was all over uh, social media this week. And there was a couple of uh, voices that I wanted to highlight that stood out to me because People I really respect talking about this issue from either side, really giving it uh, thoughtful consideration. So Conrad Nobert wrote, did you know that the climate emergency is massively urgent and that we need to convert to cleaner energy at top notch speed? I think council made the right choice. So he's arguing definitely on that uh, climate change side of things that uh, any action that we can take um, to move forward is really needed and probably overdue. And I think that's a compelling argument. And then you had Matt Dance um, say, I disagree. The urgency for renewables is unquestioned, but the way we build is just as urgent. And he talks about for a city and reconciliation, that means we should be building this project in concert with indigenous folks who know about this place and who have a deep history here. So he's talking a little bit about um, that idea that we should take a step back and, and make sure that we're really thinking this through and this is the right use for that land, not just saying, well, it was previously approved or designated, so therefore we should go forward. And then Rob Hooley, who's been on the podcast before um, a couple of times, talked uh, about this as well. He said, for Edmontonians, I simply ask, do you think you would allow a solar farm at Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump or Writing on Stone? The location of E.L. Smith has the same designation and potential. I And I think you've just highlighted exactly why I was so conflicted. A couple of people have asked me in the past couple of weeks, well, what would you have chose to do? What would you vote, Troy? How would you have voted? Well, good thing I'm not on council because 567 votes is not enough to win. But I think after sitting down and thinking about it for a pretty long time, I think I would vote yes. I would be one of the seven that were voting in favor of building, but I wouldn't be happy about it. 
And I think the best analogy I can have for this discussion is imagine you've got a big table in your living room and it's got 70 Big Macs on it. And you know you can't eat all these Big Macs. So you can throw them all in the garbage or you can eat a couple. The correct solution here would be not to put 70 Big Macs that you don't need (laughs) on the table. But that's not the decision you're presented with. The decision you're presented with is, are you a little hungry right now? Do you want to eat a couple? And I think that's the best way to talk about this. Because, yeah, should we have more respect for the Indigenous history on this land? And should EPCOR not own this land? That's a discussion. Should EPCOR not have clear-cut this land? And should we have not vastly overestimated our future demand? Yep, probably. That's a good discussion to have. But none of those discussions were on the table. The discussion that was being had was, okay, EPCOR has already damaged this arguably sacred land. It is sitting empty. It is sitting desolate. Do we allow them to put solar panels on it? Or do we keep the status quo of having this destroyed land? I think it could have been interesting if any counselor made a subsequent motion to say, hey, let's return this land to treaty sex. That I think would have been courageous and would have addressed some of these concerns that people are having. No one stepped up to do that. And perhaps that'd be out of order in our governance structure. It's hard to say the mechanics of that, but short of actually proposing something radically off the table, in terms of the narrowest parameters of the decision, I think council made the right choice. They just had a bad decision to make and the wrong decision to make. Well, I hope, like you said earlier, uh, this does turn out to be something positive. We can take something that happened in the past that was negative and uh, get some community good for this um, by helping accelerate away from uh, fossil fuels with some clean renewable energy. And and presumably this will be done in concert with Indigenous leaders. And I think the MOU that was signed with Enoch Cree Nation is a sign that EPCOR is very interested and willing to, to go down that road. The discussion doesn't necessarily have to end here because the plan for this site is not for it to be perpetually a solar farm forever. Solar usage is a temporary before E.L. Smith plans to expand into that area. Sure. I think that's an opportunity for, okay, well, there's some solar panels. We do some good. We offset some climate. And then let's have a real discussion about the usage of this space. And should EPCOR even have this land? Should we take these solar panels that we've installed, install them on some building tops, and really give that space the respect that it deserves. I think that's another discussion that we should have and something that we should have ongoing, but it wasn't on the table today. Right. What was on the table this week, inexplicably, council wage freezes. This this came up that council was agreeing to freeze their wages in 2021 and 2022. And I think you had the same response that I did, which was, duh. Yeah, of course they of course they had to vote for this. So the independent committee recommended that they do this and uh, I, I mean, can you imagine the look if if they voted to increase it or voted not to freeze it? Like it would have been insane for them to make that decision. The only decision they could make here was to freeze those wages. Um, the mayor talked about this, of course, like living within the same kind of constraint that we've asked our employees to take and uh, that they've negotiated with the labor units is just what they had to do. Uh, and he said, he said, quote, I think it's important for Edmontonians to know that their elected officials are enduring that same constraint. I think what happened here is sort of a bureaucratic glitch, because in general, the guidance that council should never vote on their salary 
it's good stuff. We don't want to have council voting on their own salaries because they could either increase it dramatically or if they're rich, decrease it dramatically and disenfranchise people who don't come to council with significant means. Sure. Yeah. What happened here is the independent council compensation committee came forward and said, hey, yeah, I know it's not your style. I know you're not supposed to do this, but hey, global pandemic, maybe consider taking a wage freeze. And then council did the only decision. There was never really a choice right. here. They voted unanimously to just say, okay, we're going to freeze it. That's acceptable. And we can talk about reductions for the future term if you know the economy doesn't bounce back as quickly as we'd hoped. Right. One other recommendation they made that it was kind of interesting is that uh, counselors who leave office should get an allowance uh, equal to three weeks of pay for every year served to a maximum of 39 weeks which is up from the current cap of 36 weeks, so a small increase. And Councillor McKean thought it should be 48 weeks, arguing that some former councillors have had a tough time returning to their previous professions. What are you doing, McKean? What are you doing? I think back to when Amarjeet Sohi won the federal seat when he was on city council, and his transition pay, people were livid about that, the fact that there was transition pay. The idea that Councillors should get more? Seems suspect to me. How did McKean justify this? And quite a bit more too, right? He basically, you know, said that the hours and effort that councillors have put into the job, he said the, uh, quote, they've devoted tremendous amounts of life and lifespan. And that means that the current cap doesn't adequately reflect that. Uh, Which he's basically saying, you know, we need another nine weeks in order to adequately reflect that. Like, how do you get nine weeks? Like, (laughs) the thing he's arguing for right there is a salary increase if the demands of the job are higher and you put in more hours you need to get paid more if you think that's what your time is worth the point of transition pay is just you know you're in elected office maybe you need to go back to classes and get transferable skills because you know in some weird separate timeline you don't get an immediate board seat with six-figure salaries Maybe that's the case. That's the point of transition pay. It allows you to transition back into the workforce, into a different industry. That is not a struggle I see politicians have. Well, most people agreed. It was rejected nine to four. Only uh, McKean, Hamilton, uh, Banga, and Ben Henderson voted in favor. I wonder if that says anything about who is planning to be on the way out. Let's not read into it too much, I suppose. (laughs) Well, speaking of being on the way out, we've got to cover this quickly because um, there was a poll this week about should council be reelected? Yeah, I mean, so this is a survey. It's a non-scientific survey. It's an online survey. And the results of this found that 38% of Edmontonians believe all of the councillors in Iveson should be reelected. 31% said they don't deserve to be reelected. And another 31% remain on the fence. And so the journal took this to mean that 60-some percent plus feel like council shouldn't be reelected, which isn't true. But that actually isn't the thing that really bugged me about this. It's that I looked up the poll for the exact same thing that was published in the Edmonton Journal in October of 2017, just before the last election. And the numbers were remarkably similar. 51% said they deserve to be reelected, 30% didn't, and 20% were on the fence. So instead of 60% against, you had 50% against. And guess what happened? Only one incumbent failed to get reelected, and the mayor 
won more votes than any other municipal politician in the history of Edmonton's elections. So polls are dumb. That's all I really wanted to say. And I think the really interesting thing is the only numbers that changed from last term to this term is in 2017, 51% said that the entire council deserves to be reelected. And now 38% says the entire council deserves to be reelected. Well, here's the thing. The council is of 13 and one of the councillors is actively being a knob, like <laughs> really aggressively. So if you don't want him to be reelected, well, go figure. You're not in the 38%. Right. I think when councillors start attacking each other and saying they're incompetent at their job, if you agree with either one of those people, you can't be in that 38%. Exactly. When you shared this with me and you said, polls are stupid. Did you see that stupid poll in the journal this week? And I said, yep. And we were talking about totally different polls. Imagine that. The one that I was talking about was there was another poll that came out this week that said that property tax reductions is top of Edmonton's priority list ahead of 2021 election. Oh, so like a majority of Edmontonians feel like taxes are the thing we should reduce? Well, that's what I heard. And I'm like, that's <laughs> shocking to me that you can get that many Edmontonians to agree on a single issue. And no, in fact... 19% of Edmontonians ranked lowering taxes as a top priority. This was ahead of 17% for supporting business and economic growth and 14% for reducing spending and 10% for improving lives and 8% for reducing poverty down the chain. But there right. was no clear consensus at all here. If one in five people say something, you do not have a majority and you do not have a priority list. Absolutely not. So one of those counselors who I said was disagreeing with the others and getting into Twitter fights, you know him, you love him. It's Counselor Andrew Knack, who on last week's episode, I said was a bad politician. And then uh, late that night, past midnight, I got a DM from Andrew Knack with just two words. Saturday at 12.06 a.m. He sent me, it's true. No other context. So something was true last week. Uh, Mac still thinks he's a good politician. And, you know, this week I could be convinced based on what happened. But what happened? Well, I guess we could agree to split the difference and say that uh, maybe he's a bad politician, but he's a great counselor. And that's what happened this week. Mike Nichol once again attacked Andrew Knack on Twitter, unprovoked, of course, and without any sort of basis and just a ridiculous post. And this time, it felt to me like all of Edmonton Twitter was out in defense of Andrew Knack. I saw so many tweets and messages uh, supporting Andrew Knack. Chris Labossier tweeted, for instance, that he is easily one of the best public servants we've had on council. Uh, I saw Brad Ferguson, the former CEO of EDC, talking about what a great leader Andrew is because of his approach. Lots of people just came out in support of Andrew Knack. And of course, is true to form, he went and engaged all of them and said thank you and chimed into discussions and added thoughts where it was appropriate. It was it was really great to see. Uh, you didn't kick it off, Troy, of course, but it was nice after <laughs> after hearing he's a bad politician to see so many people uh, come out in support of Andrew Knack this week. And look, here's the thing. I am also a bad politician. We mentioned earlier the 567 votes in 2017 exemplifies bad politics. I believe politics should be done as per the West Wing. Uh, you know, I'm an Aaron Sorkin truthist, and that does not win anymore. So I agree with you. The best politicians are bad politicians, and the ones I want to lead can't usually because politics sucks. 
So, you know, I'm with Edmonton stepping up to defend Andrew Knack. He is easily one of the best public servants we've had on council, and I'm glad to have him. I just don't want him to get, you know, too big of an ego because that's what kills politicians. And I understand you're not a fan of his TikTok, although he's addicted. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. TikTok is just ego generation. And I got to say, Andrew, you got a boomer TikTok. TikTok is all about the dances and, you know, Jugmeet Singh. He had a TikTok where he that was you know, awesome. Yep. danced and pointed to issues. Andrew Knack made a PowerPoint of LRT cars. I, I don't know what to tell you. That's that's not what TikTok is. You were leading the youth council, Andrew. I'm going to need you to get a little bit more coaching before making your next TikTok. <laughs> After that completely trivial segment uh, that we just ended on there, I think we have to transition to a final segment, which is actually quite serious and close to home. The Mustard Seed plans to open a new shelter on the south side about time. November 1st, if the city approves a development permit, basically they want to take over a old Sesco warehouse that has been decommissioned and use it as a 24-7 shelter space until May 21st. You know, COVID emergency, give you a pandemic homeless shelter. That's mm -hmm. pretty good stuff. I thought it was really interesting and sort of came a bit out of nowhere. This was a surprise to me. Yeah, I think this is a great uh, initiative because we've been talking about the Edmonton Convention Center being turned into the shelter downtown. And uh, of course, the mustard seed quite rightly pointed out that not all of the homeless people in Edmonton or people experiencing homelessness here live in downtown. Some of them are on the south side. Um, so this is a great opportunity to maybe use a, a vacant building uh, for that purpose. The majority of council has accepted this proposal. So administration will continue to review the application. So it's a good chance that this will go ahead. Dallas Bartell, who's the communications director for the Ritchie Community League, uh, said, we understand the need for a development like this. We hope it's a positive thing for the neighborhood and the community. But he also noted that there has been some pushback to this kind of thing uh, across the city when these kinds of projects have come up in the past. This is actually in my backyard. I'm about six or seven blocks away from the proposed development. And I got to say, it's been really interesting to be on the front lines and hearing the NIMBY attitudes. But I will give credit to my community and Hazeldine and Richie. It is the most polite NIMBYism that I have ever seen. I had a few conversations with neighbors and they said, you know, I've seen a lot of crime increase lately and I know we need this. I just sure hope it doesn't increase the crime in the area. And then I talked to another one who said that, you know, I don't know if this will increase crime and disorder. I hope it doesn't, but at least these people will have a shelter. So like overall, it's just been, you know, a resigned, okay, we're having this. I really hope it doesn't negatively impact the community, but there's no no discussion about protesting, about- No pitchforks. No pitchforks. And you know- there's probably selection bias. The people that would raise their pitchforks are probably not the people that I would talk to in my free time. Sure. Go figure. But I thought it was really interesting because even I did, when I first read about this, being someone who has had two bikes stolen this mm -hmm. year, um, my wallet got stolen. I've been the victim of a lot of crimes this year. And I got to say it sucks. And, you know, my bike was stolen out of my garage in my back alley. So if there's an increase in crime and disorder in the area, you know, that could increase bikes getting stolen. Yeah. I'm not speculating that this would increase it, but I got to say, even as quote unquote woke as I am, the thought flashed across my mind and I'm like, am I happy about this? And I took a pause and I'm like, 
yeah, yeah, I am. This is a good thing. But it just goes to show that, like, it really is an effort. And when people have these in their communities, it's good that we don't jump in and attack people for being NIMBYs. Because, like, when I talk to my neighbors, you know, if they started with, might this increase crime and disorder in the neighborhood? And if you weren't giving these people the benefit of the doubt, you could jump down their throat and said, no, you're a bad person. You need to support this. Right. Because they did in the end. They just had to get there. Civil dialogue. Imagine that. Speaking of civil dialogue, you can get that on the shared mic. Mac, what's the shared mic all about? Can you remember the last time you spoke to someone from a totally different generation who wasn't a member of your family? There is so much we can learn from listening to people both younger and older than ourselves. The Shared Mic Conversations for the Ages is a unique interview format intergenerational podcast by age-friendly Edmonton, bringing together Edmontonians of different ages and backgrounds to discuss topics that matter to them. Season two is out now and features conversations about cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theater, volunteerism, and much more. You can find The Shared Mic on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton. So I've been doing home renovations these past couple weeks, and I'm doing a lot of rewiring of my house. And just on my desk where I'm recording, I've got this, it's about, you know, 15 centimeters long piece of 12 gauge copper wire. And I just realized right now that this whole episode, when I'm making a point, I've been like, gesticulating with this copper (laughs) wire at the screen so if you didn't hear that in my voice dear listener maybe go back and listen again and imagine me gesticulating strongly with a piece of 12 gauge copper wire i think it really colors my points um (laughs) that's all (laughs) Uh, i will leave you if you're looking to listen to more check out presents.tappertedmonton.ca for our newest podcast we'll talk more about that in a future episode okay until next week i'm troy i'm mac and we're Speaking municipally. municipally.